Welcome back, competitors. We are back. It is episode 150 of the Compete Everyday Podcast. Let's go. Welcome back, everyone. My name is Jake Thompson. This is the Compete Everyday Podcast, and I'm so excited you are here as we get to celebrate episode 150 of the Compete Podcast with a special guest. If you've been listening all season, we kicked off season three with an interview with James Leith of Unleash the Athlete. And James has gotten to be a good buddy over the last year and a half, and he had a great idea for episode 150. What if I became the guest? And so today, the two of us sit down and he interviews me a little bit about the background of Compete, which many of you are familiar with, but more into my own personal story, what struggles I had from a mental perspective dealing with confidence with competition how my identity was so wrapped up in the sport I played instead of who I was as an individual we talk about that we talk about some of my favorite stories from the last eight years at compete every day lessons I've learned from doing 150 podcast episodes and the importance of just showing up every day the importance of learning what it means to be a leader and showing up every day so I hope you enjoy this spin on our normal podcast show as we sit down and James Leith interviews me for episode 150. As always, competitors, if you are not yet connected in our online community, check out facebook.com slash group slash compete every day. Get connected with other ambitious people competing every day to show up as their best in their work, their workouts, and their life. If you have any questions, drop us a note to podcast at competeeveryday.com and I'm excited to kick off episode 150, strap in, rock and roll, let's start talking competition, showing up, and what it means to lose your identity. Welcome to the show, everyone. We're flipping the tables a little bit today as this is the 150th episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast, formerly Better Than Yesterday show. Uh, and to have a little fun with it, my buddy James Leith, who you can find uh, actually at the start of season three, we did an interview about his work with Unleash the Athlete. Uh, we'll link to it in the show notes. But he had the idea of flipping the tables and interviewing me for today's show, uh, give you kind of a behind the scenes in my life and compete, uh, help you get to know some of the work and, and what I've learned over the years of interviewing people, connecting with you, members of the community and the compete crowd. Uh, and so now I'll welcome our host for today, James Leith of Unleash the Athlete. What's going on, brother? How you doing? I'm good, man. Have some coffee hanging out here in the morning at, at your uh, your place as we get to record this in person, which is always more fun. What are you drinking? Uh, man, coffee black. I am just Starbucks. Nothing in it. Nothing in it. Starbucks Pike. Uh, give me a little bit of room so I don't spill, and it is. Man, I don't put anything in it. I, That's I, gross. I started. You gotta, I, I go cream. I put I, cinnamon. I can tell. There's like a pound <laughs> of sugar in there. I would be like racing around. It's energy. Yeah, I'd race around my office and then pass out from a sugar crash. No, when I, I didn't get into coffee till I was probably 25. And it was first, it was like the Starbucks white chocolate mocha. That's That was my gateway drug. Uh, I think that's so interesting because white chocolate mocha, but then I would put a splash of raspberry in it. Oh, no, no, just the mm. white chocolate mm. and go, go with that. I, I drank that for a while and then I started 
getting healthier because uh, my waist size was getting not where I wanted it. And so your waist was getting bigger, your wallet was getting smaller. That's right. You. you have five dollar coffee. Yeah, I'm so broke. That, that got me. <laughs> like what? So I started going coffee black with honey and cinnamon in it because I had yeah. done some research that it was a healthy combo and cinnamon was good. And now I'm just at the point where it's coffee black. Men's Health Magazine. It's like every article, somehow they put cinnamon in it. Like, oh, by the way, cinnamon's great for you. So, like, I just, like, all right, fine, cinnamon. Extends your metabolism rate, apparently. I think that's what they read. However, it gave it a little flavor. But now, nowadays, it's like, no. If anything goes in my coffee, it's wintertime and it's Bailey's. Otherwise, that's, it's black. So, then you went through college with no coffee. None. None whatsoever. What was your... Oh. Like, did you just have energy? No, like- no. So, uh, pr- we'll say pre-compete Jake, uh, back in the day. So I was, uh, I grew up, I had the metabolism of like a racehorse. What That's sports did you play? Football, track, baseball. What position in football? Quarterback. Nice. Uh, were you any good? I was pretty good. I okay. was pretty good. I was, uh, honorable mention all state. I was all district offensive player of the year. Uh, planned to go play at TCU, got hurt the summer before I got there in an all-star game, jacked my shoulder pretty bad. Uh, doctors told me I could go play. I would have to have surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and being that I was 5'11", 145 pounds, I was going to have surgery more than once if yes. I played with 300-pound guys. So yes. uh, never ended up playing at college, but I had a crazy metabolism. And when I was a senior – uh, after football season, I, I paid a nutritionist to work with me, help me bulk up before college, knowing that I was going to need weight. She laughed that she had never seen anyone with my metabolism. And so like my day started with 10 eggs, two cups of oatmeal, like yolk two and yeah. Like, oh my goodness. Two hours later, I'm eating protein shake. Lunch was grilled chicken breast and baked potato, then working out. Then ch- I mean, it was like I was eating. Wait, so that's was... pretty clean. So you've been eating clean for a long no, time. No, let's, let's backtrack. So that was while I was trying to bulk up. And uh, I didn't drink in, in high school at all. Like I was so focused on sports and knowing that I needed every competitive advantage because of my size. So 145. Did, yeah, I didn't. See, I was 5'10 and a half at like 195, yeah. 200. So. Like I had about 50 pounds on you. So we'll, we'll back up. Like my metabolism being so vast, I could eat anything. So my sophomore, junior year of high school, I laugh about this now. If I did it, I would probably die. In the mornings, I would have to get up there at say 645 quarterback drills and work prior to the actual class starting. And I would down a, a sugar-free Red Bull and two donuts and then go practice like it was no big deal. That just hurts my belly. I, it, just yeah. Like. <laughs> and, and so, but I had no concept of it. And so like after football season, my senior year, and I'm working with this nutritionist, it's the first time I've really just eaten clean. Mm-hmm. Uh, because before that, it was like ice cream at night. Like I could eat anything and I was never gaining weight. And in my head, I just need to eat everything to gain weight. So I, uh, I yeah, worked with this nutritionist. Once I realized I wasn't going to be playing in college, I was like, I'm just going to enjoy college. Uh, had fun with beer and rum and whiskey and everything else. And, but my addictions were always soft drinks, always soft drinks. And so anyone particular, Dr. Pepper, original DP. And so you could just take a doctor, open it up and just down the whole thing. Oh dude. Not only that, but when I college, my junior, senior year of college and especially in grad school, I would have like a two liter every other day. So when I, in in high school and college, I would buy Mountain Dew in bulk. Uh Mm-hmm. 
and I would go through a 12 pack every few days. I just, it, it was Mountain Dew and corn dogs. Like that was, that is what, that is the foundation of my nutritional oh, life Yeah, <laughs> growing up. I haven't had a corn dog at Mountain Dew in probably 10 years now, but gosh. Well, Mountain Dew, I'll still have a, a diet Mountain Dew from time to time because my friends that were in residency said it is the number one uh, soft drink with caffeine. And so when I used to try diet Mountain Dew, diet Mountain Dew. So when I used Tim to Ferris travel, talks about that, like he does a diet Coke uh-huh. right before he goes on stage. Yeah. I, I don't do before I go on stage, I might have some coffee usually cause it's in the morning. Um, but yeah, the diet Mountain Dew was always a saver when I traveled all over the U S and the, my truck or our sprinter van, I'd be in the middle of nowhere, like mm-hmm. diet Mountain Dew I'd grab because usually it's the summer and I didn't want a coffee at three in the afternoon sometimes when it's blazing hot outside. Um, so yeah, Diet Mountain Dew was it. But yeah, I went through a stage where two liter of Dr. Pepper pizza, no big deal. Every Sunday I was drinking Dr. Peppers like crazy in the big, like if you know what Dickie's barbecue is in Texas, or I don't know, nowhere mm. else they are, but they have these yeah. giant yellow plastic cups like you would get at a baseball game or a football game. Mm-hmm. We had those in the pantry and I'd fill it up with Dr. Pepper and drink it. Oh, and then I got nice. to a point where I started like at 20, Three twenty four. I started getting heartburn, bad. Yeah. I have heartburn just listening. Oh, to but it, it was like habits. it didn't matter what I ate. Like I would get really bad heartburn. Okay. I was two oh five at this point. Uh, my waist, my pants were probably a thirty six, uh, maybe thirty seven. Yeah, I can't even imagine. Uh, oh, I have pictures that are the funniest because the first thing that goes is my cheeks, and it literally is chipmunk cheeks. And I started getting this heartburn. And so I started going to see a doctor of like, what is going on? Drink barium, went through everything. Well, I had a hernia in my esophagus. And so I I don't think I've ever heard of anybody having a hernia in their esophagus. I had a hernia. And so they, I had to have an operation. Uh, They get, they fixed it. Uh, After they fixed it though, I was like, I I really need to start cleaning up when I'm eating. Um, I started developing weird food allergies. So like I suddenly became allergic to avocado, which anybody listening is like, oh, you poor man. Yeah. Because I used to eat it it all the time. Life is over. Uh, (laughs) I have at least one a day. Watermelon, cantaloupe, melons, any of that I can't have. Um, And so I I cut it out. And so I started getting pretty at that point. It was like, how can I eat? And so funny enough, Tim Ferriss was really kind of the first go at it was the slow carb diet from mm-hmm. four hour body yep. of I would eat. Did chi- you put the eggs in the microwave in this in the spinach in the microwave? No, the spinach was never anything I could get into. It was like a uh, broccolis and greens, black beans, and then chicken breast and eggs mostly okay. uh, and fish. And then that would be my six days a week. And then on that seventh day I would uh, eat that healthy breakfast, go work out at, I just started CrossFit. So it was either CrossFit or I was going to like 24 hour fitness. And then I would go to IHOP and get chocolate milk and pancakes and bacon and like just splurge the whole day because I'd Mm. made this list of like, this is everything I miss eating. And so that was kind of when it started of like getting into shape was around that point of, you know, having health issues and then being like, I want to change this. How how old were you? Like 24, 25. And then started doing CrossFit, got into CrossFit and that changed everything that changed everything because that was the the reignite of the competitive fire of you used to get in sports all the time um for me it was a very different state because i i got to come at it from a a very a more healthy perspective Mm -hmm. um which it was still a battle i think anyone that's been a former athlete that 
you love the thrill of competition, but you, your identity is so wrapped up in being an athlete, being a quarterback. For me, it was always Mm -hmm. being a quarterback because that was where I found my sense of worth. Like if you didn't see me as a quarterback, you know, where, where was I, what, what did I struggle with or what, who was I to you? What, what worth did I have? And so like a lot of people, you get back into CrossFit or you get into CrossFit and you have this competitive fire. And so for me, it was always a learning experience of like, how do I not get too self-absorbed in workouts? How can I start pushing myself, not worrying what other people in the gym are doing? And so that was a really helpful process of just mentally preparing myself of getting out of that idea. Um, And I think I even wrote a post on it on the Compete blog of an identity crisis around it. Like you are not your time. You are not how strong you are. Like this is benchmarks for you to get better and quit worrying about what everyone else is. I think that's a that's really interesting because you and I have similar situations. Like I, I graduated high school, I was quarterback, went to go play football, got hurt, and then you spend some time in this, in this I, who am I world because you're no longer the leader of a team. You're no longer just somebody who people are counting on. And who are you? And I think that that happens a lot for these high school athletes that graduate high school and then. There's only so many college spots, and most kids who play in high school don't go on to play whatever sport they are, and then they just struggle. And so I love that you've created, and I mean, for my business, same thing, is that we're creating these opportunities for people to reignite their athletic passions, to to become that athlete, but then look at it, because I've heard your message so many times, come at it from, look, you're no longer a quote-unquote athlete but you can train like one, you can think like one, you can perform like one in your daily business. And so is that where compete every day kind of comes from? Yeah. You know, a part of it is off of that. It's the idea that, uh, you know, the competitor and really, you know, it's funny you mentioned that with athlete, like we use competitor almost now interchangeably with leader to a degree. Um, dive into that a little bit. What do you mean? And the reason being is, so I, at the very core of, of the work I do and what I believe is I believe the better leaders we become and try to be, the better we become equipped mentally, uh, the better we show up mentally, physically, relationally as leaders in our households and our homes and our worlds, the better impact and bigger impacts we can make. The reason I use competitor is because it draws some on that former athlete. And it gives you a target to focus on because a lot of times we talk about people need to be better leaders. How do you be better leaders? And then some of the conversations we've had, some of the conversations that uh, some of our shared contacts have had of like, we tell people to be better leaders, but we don't really tell them how, like equip them. This happens every single time I go to a high school, a middle school. I'm like, raise your hand if anybody's ever told you to be a leader. They all raise their hand and I'm like, keep your hand up if they've ever told you how to be a leader. We just tell them, step up. Yeah. Like, what does that mean to an eighth grade, you know, girls volleyball player? It, like, she doesn't know. Or like, you got this seventh grade basketball dude and he's like, I don't know what you mean. Step up. Like, what, what am I, what is that even? Yeah. Crazy? So, so we attach us, so when we attach that concept to competing, we, we throw it out of, of your competing against your old best. Your, how are you going to show up better? How are you going to be more vocal as a leader? How are you going to be a better encourager as a leader? Um, how are you going to be more present in your relationships? Uh, how are you going to invest in your growth so that you know more today than you did yesterday? Um, that's essentially leadership. Like at the core, it's serving others, helping others. How do you make an impact? 
But the way you do that is by investing in your growth. It's by giving 110% effort. It's by showing up and, and doing your best, whether you want to be in that situation or not. And so we use the idea of competition because com to compete is to strive for gain by winning something. And so what we want people to do is say, all right, instead of being distracted by what everyone else is doing, what your neighbor's doing, what your friend's doing, what your ex-girlfriend from high school is doing, let's focus on what you're doing. And let's start competing against your own previous best because competition brings out the best in everyone. Like that, it, it's the start of football season right now. Like coaches love it. Like I've got a buddy that's the special teams coach at Houston, and we, we were talking about competition, and he was like, man – He's like, we, we do competitions with our teams. He said, I put whole team on different units. And he said, we have guys draft. And he said, we set them up because I want them out of their comfort zone. I want them up against a teammate in a friendly environment because it's, they're going to push each other. You're gonna, when you're up against something, you're in a position where you're going to be pushed. And you have to make the decision, am I going to push back? Am I going to get better? Am I going to overcome this? Or am I going to let it beat me? And for a lot of people in life, they just let things beat them. They let adversity in life. They let challenges in life. They let complacency. They go to the job they hate with the boss they hate. They complain about it, and they use it as their excuse to avoid responsibility for their actions. And so competing is an aggressive action movement. It's not something you do on the sidelines. It's not something you do in the stands. It's something you specifically do on the field, on the court. you got to take action. And so that's kind of where that basis came from. Uh, you know, we talked Let me to, back up just ahead. a little bit. So the way I heard you describe leadership, I think we do it. A, we do people a disservice when we talk about leadership and we talk about serving others, and because we don't also address the fact that the way you describe leadership is there is there's an element of selfishness that has to be there. You have to be selfish in your time, not all your time, but you, you you're investing in yourself. You're diving into yourself. There's a pastor down the road named um, Tommy Nelson who always said, "If your upkeep exceeds, wait, if your if your yeah, if your upkeep exceeds your intake, your output will be your downfall. So if you're not pouring into your cup and teaching from overflow, then eventually you will burn out. And so what you're talking about in leadership is that you're serving others, you're doing all this stuff, but also there's an element of make your bed, take care of yourself first." or consistently so that way you can do that. So can you can you dive in a little bit on the the idea of taking care of the self when it comes to leadership? Yeah, so there's there's a quote by John Acuff that uh, I'm looking to to see if I can find, but um, he's a great author and, and speaker and someone that's his work has influenced a lot of me, but it's around the idea that people say you're selfish if you're a mom and you go spend time in the gym. You're, you're selfish. If Which is so dumb. I know, I know. It, <laughs> but, but this idea is other people think that like for you to serve others, to help others, you have to constantly be giving away everything, giving away the house. You can't run a business that makes money. You can't do any of that. When in reality, it's selfish of you not to, because selfish means you're only thinking about yourself. You only have your best interest at heart. You don't care about other people above you. When you're investing in yourself, when you're trying to build a big business that can help others, when you're going to the gym to work out, it's doing so and taking care of yourself so that you can show up more fully, more present as your best self. Because in reality, it's more of a disservice to people if you show up half-ass, if you show up 
uh, under-equipped if you show up not ready or not caring about them. But when you put in the work to be better, to be able to do better and to be able to show up as better, then you're actually adding more value to other people's lives. So to a degree, I think you have to take care of that self-care. You have to take care of yourself. Otherwise, you're doing a disservice to the people you serve, those you want to impact and influence because you're not bringing your best game. It's like being a player and you know, you, you don't put in the full work in the offseason. You're not quite prepared. You might doze off on a play or two during a game. Like you're not showing up as your best self for your teammates mm-hmm. in that moment. That's incredibly selfish of you. Yeah, we, we have this like superhero culture where it's like you're just supposed to have all that stuff in you. Yeah. And the motion creates motion. So if you're at the gym, you've got a mom who's at the gym at 5 o'clock in the morning. If she doesn't do that, she doesn't have the energy to go out and, and, and be a superhero mom. You know, if the, if the dad isn't taking care of himself and making sure that he's keeping his weight down and being a competitor in life, then, you know, when it, it, he, he struggles too. And so we, we need to be able to fill our cup. And I just feel like sometimes we get the message confused in that you need to just be awesome all the time. It's like, no, no, you have to be awesome to yourself. What is that? Treat yourself. You know, like Parks and Rec, yep. Aziz, he's like, treat yourself. You know, like you really have to do that in order to be able to bless others with your energy. Yeah, yeah. And here's that John Acuff quote that I talked about said, people are mistaken that when they think chasing your dream, pursuing your goals is a selfish thing to do. As if perhaps being average is an act of humility. As if perhaps wasting the talents you were given, you were born with, you were blessed with is proof that you're considerate. When in reality, we all know that it's it's ridiculous for you to waste those opportunities, waste those talents. And so, you know, the competitive side for me, you, you know, you'd asked me earlier, I do a, a college talk, high school talk called Competitors for Life. And the first thing I address is your identity is more than your position because it's something I did not get. I know how mentally lost I was in college, uh, in grad school, because I was no longer a quarterback. I was no longer a football player. I would do intramurals, and guys on the team, receivers and other players on the team would be like, bro, you need to come out and play with us. Like, you can play. And I'm like, I can't. Like, physically, I'm not ready for that. And it it ate me up to where, you know, I'm pouring alcohol and girls, like everything into my system to try to find validation and worth to replace it. And I talk about it in my talk. I've written a a big chunk of it in in my book that'll be coming out. But like it finally just one day I was essentially I laughed at the rock bottom was my college girlfriend who I was in love with, thought I might marry, uh, was cheating on me. Um, I was finishing up, I was in a, working as a sports agent in a representation firm and, and interning for a guy and was just not feeling like that was where I wanted to be my whole life. So not only do you have someone that you think you're going to spend your life with, uh, leave you in a terrible way, you have this dream career that you've been imagining for 10 years, suddenly start to realize this is not what I want. This is not what I thought it was. And so literally I would go to grad school classes and then just drink. And, uh, I, you know, and, and it got to a point one night that I laughed, like my best friend came home. And if you listen to the podcast two weeks ago about uh, your, your friends, you, you'll recognize the story. But he walked in the door and I'm sitting on our coffee table, 1030 at night with sunglasses on, a hat. I am jamming out Guitar Hero. And I've got a bottle or a handle of vodka beside me just taking swigs. 
And he sits down beside me and he's like, I'm going to play with you tonight. But tomorrow we change this because this doesn't align with who you say you want to be. And we sat down the next morning and we started going through like what I said I wanted and where I said I wanted my life to go and then how my actions were different. And the things that started to click for me was the fact that all of my life in sports had gotten the idea that to win the starting job, it did not matter how talented you were. If you showed up every day, if you worked your tail off, if you knew your playbook, if you outworked everyone, if you worked harder than what you were born with and were consistent, like you were going to play. It did not matter. Like we have, there's a guy in the NFL right now, uh, Josh McCowan, went to my high school. Dude has been in the league, I want to say 16 years. He's going on the record for having thrown the most passes uh, for every team. Like he's thrown for 10 different teams in the league. Josh didn't start till his senior year because the guy in front of him was 5'8", 145 pounds and knew the playbook better and was accurate at that time. Like he, Tony didn't ever play in college. He went on and ran track in college, but Tony started his senior year instead of this guy that's played in the NFL for over a decade. And that wasn't any knock on Josh. Josh just wasn't as ready as that one guy was. Josh played his senior year, played college, and has played in the NFL. But I remember seeing Tony and working with Tony and thinking, like, in sports, this is how you get the job. This is how you win. You show up. And my team did it. Our team did great. We were under-talented. We had a great year our senior year. We were expected to go, like, 2-8. and eight. We went 10-2. and two. Uh, Like, all of those things clicked. But in life, I missed that boat. Like, in life, for some reason, I thought just because I was a quarterback, things were going to click. Like, I bought into Hollywood's version of things just happened for you. Well, also, the coaches and people around you were telling you that. Yeah. We we do that all the time. These high school kids, they walk around, you go to these camps. When I So, I, I was at IMG Academy yeah. for a while, and these kids would show up, and they're the cream of the crop from their high school. The best in their state, a lot of times. And then they would get around other guys and girls that were the best, and then they were all of a sudden, they were average. And so it was just this like show of like machismo and just like, I'm, I'm the best. And it's like, you're, you're actually not like, you're now, you're not even starting anymore. Like you were the best guy girl in your state and now you have to sit the bench and they struggle with that because now nobody is telling them that they're the greatest anymore. And that's hard. It's really hard. If you go back and listen to the interview we did season two with uh, Stu Singer, he works with WNBA teams. He works with a number of women's college basketball programs. But we talked about that. Like, how do you have five-star recruits, top in the nation, best in their high school, walk in, and like, you're a freshman, you're sitting the bench this year. Oh, man. And he said the reason people excel in that position is the ones that show up and don't care what other people are saying, that their friends back home are like, why aren't you starting anymore? Like, what all the outside noise is, they just show up and say, how can I get better? What can I learn? How can I get better? And to put in the work, he said, those are the ones that excel because they're not distracted by what other people say or do. And yeah, so I bought into this lie and that things were just going to happen. Doors were going to open because of who I was, because of my attitude or discipline. Yeah. I mean, I I literally had some of that entitlement. We all were. Like, uh, I I know I was. And And I hated the idea of working. You get punched in the mouth. Yeah. I hated the idea of working hard. Because if you worked hard, you looked like a nerd. And it was always so like battle for me because high school came easy and if a subject didn't come easy like I didn't want it to look like I was overworking because that would take me out of the cool crowd it take me away from being the quarterback in the cool crowd you know they, they in high school they have a term for that your work hard like they actually, you said the word they, they will call people that as if it's degrading 
Is if it's like that's a bad thing. Like, oh, you have to work hard to, to be who you are. It's like, sorry, bro, I wasn't blessed with your genetics. I'm yeah. not six five. Want to run a four three forty? Like, I gotta actually work hard. Like, that's crazy that we make fun of people for that. And those people are better set up for success than the rest of us because they've they've started building the skill of working hard, of learning, of having to adapt. And ignoring the haters. And ignoring the haters. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I didn't. And and I didn't realize that. And and honestly, that coffee table conversation with my best friend, who's I mean, he's practically my brother, just made me start to like, it was like the light bulb went off, like, Everything that makes you successful in sports makes you successful in life. You show up, you do the little things, you work your tail off, you put yourself in positions to win, you try to learn more than everyone else. Like That's what makes you successful in life. It's not a magic stroke. It's not a magic luck. So once I realized that and I was like, I've got to be around sports somehow because this is the truth, um, I just started experimenting with everything. Like I, I worked for a while for the Cowboys. Um, I worked for their Arena League team. Um, I started a consulting business because it was the fall of 2008. I couldn't get a job. And then eventually compete started festering out because I was like, I want to do something bigger. Like I want to do something. I want I've got this message and this idea that you have to show up. You've got to compete. You've got to pursue your best life and your faith and your health and your relationships. Like I'm tired of watching friends. One believe success is going to happen for them Two, make the same mistakes I did. And I want to start seeing people go proactively for their best life. And so we, we started, you know, toying with it. Actually, the first name of it was Stacked, which is a terrible name. Uh, <laughs> terrible name. Nobody but could see what you did right I, now. I essentially like... <laughs> made the uh, large Imagine chest. Anatomy. Yeah, anatomy. Yeah, like, but... Because that was the first – when I put it out there, I wasn't even thinking about it. But it's also that Stacked is a, an athlete – blog right like yeah have, it is now yeah it's a high school before, it's yeah. a high school athlete blog yeah and so i had this idea of literally it was like faith health relationships dreams or goals uh career and then life and it was like be stacked in yeah, stern yeah. of it but yeah so started playing with it and then eventually i was like that's not gonna work like because everybody's head went with the anatomy lesson right. first now you can't have a you have, yeah. you have a rack yeah this no. is my rack of yeah. stuff this is my speaking stuff. content would be very different yeah so once i realized that i just started playing and and the idea compete came on a ski trip i was driving to durango colorado with my buddy ty and adam my roommate i was like what do you guys think about compete and they're like that is you like you are the guy that if we beat you once in Madden, you're going to play us 20 in a row until you win. Like does not matter. You have to win. And I said, yeah, but what about it from this perspective of like me versus me, like taking that same, like I'm going to whoop you in video games or class or whatever, and just applying it into actually pursuing things that well, I matter. Think that's one of the things that I like about your brand is that on the outside, it looks like you're talking about competing with others. But when you dive in a little bit, it's actually you're competing with yourself. Would you say that's accurate? One hundred percent. I the the comparison game is exhausting. You'll oh, never gosh. win it. You'll there's always someone ahead of you, and there's always someone behind you. So there's always Get a reason to be excited, and there's always a reason to be disappointed. Uh, yeah, My feed is full of people who are way better than me. <laughs> and and I mean that's social media. It's funny you have to really guard it because it is, and it's I really struggled with. I mean, even now it's either certain people I'm like, listen, like I can't follow you until I'm mature enough to follow you. And so I unfollow. And it's not like, Hey, I don't want to check in. I want to check in occasionally and see what you're doing. But like, I know where my head goes, even though we're in separate races. And so you pull that out. I strategically keep people in my feed that are ahead of me just to remind me 
um, because I think that the ones that are doing what we want to be doing, the people in this world, John Gordon's a perfect example. And I've mentioned it on, on Matthew Del Negro's podcast and, and some other people that are friends with him. But John has the model that I'm building toward. And I can look at his work and when I see him on a stage in an arena or doing something and be so insanely jealous of it and be miserable. Or I can look at it and say, if he's doing it, that means it's possible to do it. How can I? And so I think that following the right people that are doing what we want to do that are more successful than us are the ones that we need to have the attitude of their success proves that it can be done and it should motivate us to get to that point. Mm -hmm. Not to compare ourselves to them, but just to verify the fact that what you're doing can be done. Now go do it. Yeah, I I had a couple of people on my feed too that – I found myself being envious of. I'm like, I'm in my 30s. I'm a grown-ass man. What am I envious of? Like, and, and you mentioned Johnny. I've done John for a long time. And he is the kind of guy who is super successful. But when you go to dinner with him, he's like, here's everything I do. Here's my process. Here's how I spend my day. And just is, is a giver. And so you hang out with guys like that. And you're just like, okay, that's. That's possible. And so now I can say, and you and I, we offline, we've talked about certain speakers that we like or don't like or whatever. And, and some of them are a little much. And, but it's like, hold on, but you, you can take things from that person. Yeah. And I'm not like take, like rob them, but like you can say, I like that trait, you know, um, and, and the Netflix, uh, I'm not your guru, Tony mm-hmm. Robbins. He's like, I built this mother effer. Yeah. Like I'm intentional about who, who the person you see came from, you know, being soap being shoved down my mouth from my mom and her, you know, being physically abusive. And then I decided I'm going to be better and I'm going to intentionally and he read and he spoke and he worked with Jim and like just did all this stuff and then became Tony Robbins overnight success. Yeah. <laughs> like it just yeah. happened just like that, just happened. you know, 20 years for an overnight success. But you know, so I, I love that you bring up the fact that there's people in your feed that you had to be uh, would you say mature enough to follow? You know, yeah. like, like um, Eric, the hip hop. Yeah. Oh, ET man. So you he look at Eric and you're just like, I'm not that guy, you know? And so I think a lot of people, they're like, I'm going to be just like him. It's like, you don't, don't be just like, him. no, you know, when I go out and speak, I'll sometimes get on a, on a, on a excited and I'll, I'll start yelling a little bit, but that's not who I normally am. I'm usually very just like, here's what you need to do. Here's a, here's a good idea. Here's something that I found from somebody else. Instead of being like, go and do your thing. And blah, 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 and you're just like, man, more power to you. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's not me. Who, who's the guy? Uh, Inky. Yeah, Inky Inky's Johnson. fantastic. I have to slow him down. Like when I listen to him, I have to, I have to take it at like 0.75 because he's so good at speaking. And he just rips it. It's like he's, it's like he's rapping out there. And it, and he's and he's spitting out this the most amazing information, and if I if I wanted to be like him, if I competed with him and compared myself to him, I'm failing every single time. Every single every single time. Or you can just be like, man, that's a that's a great way to do that. That's and the, a, that's good. And the beauty of those two guys that you mentioned, uh, so Eric Et Hip Hop Pastor, super famous years ago when he came out with a video about you have to want to succeed as much as you want to breathe. And that story was being told in a classroom, which you and I spend a few days a week, just in random classrooms yeah. throughout the country with one single team, right? That was like a high school yeah. football team. And he just told that story about, you know, you got it. What was it? 
if when you want to succeed more than you want to breathe. breathe. Yeah. And the beauty, it's funny that that line's also the the foundation, some of the foundation for the name of one of my favorite bands, Need to Breathe. It's kind of the same way from a, a faith driven perspective. But he got famous there. Inky, if you follow his story, he got uh, injured at University of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. He's lost the use of his right arm. Yep. Uh, yep. And so he he tells his story and his purpose. But you look at those two guys, two of the bigger motivational speakers in the, the game today, and Tony Robbins is another example. They have these fascinating stories of adversities they, they overcame and they grew up. I mean, even E.T., the stuff he overcame mm-hmm. – to get to and his he's got position. His doctorate now. He's got his doctorate now. So he's legit. He's not just out there saying, you should be great. Yeah. He's like, I've done the work. And his backstory is so fascinating that when I got into the space and for anyone listening that, that wants to do something great and you're watching other people and you can't relate, like, remember this. When I wanted to be that speaker years ago and I'm working with the ports and, and their training and I'll never forget Michael and I having the conversation about how some of these other speakers built their platform. And I was like, I don't have that story. Like, I don't have some crazy adversity I've overcome. Now, I've gone through my situations. We've talked about some of it and where I've struggled and and the wrong mindsets I have. But I I was never the living in a van down by the river, homeless, (laughs) dealt with – like any of the stuff Uh that you hear about the quote-unquote inspirational speakers. And he kind of laughed. He said, you've learned, you've taught yourself, you've overcome these situations – you can't relate to some of those stories, but how many people in your audience do you think can too? Right. And it was the reali- realization that, man, I may not be able to relate with the 2 to 3% biggest names in motivation right now, but probably directly neither can 90% of the audience that's sitting out there. Right. They're the ones that are struggling with, how do I just deal with my marriage? How do I find a job I like? How do I show up to my job or show up for my kids? Like that kind of stuff. And I was like, Ah, mm-hmm. so you don't have to be like everyone else is. You just have to find what is real and resonates with you and then start using that to connect with people. Yeah, no, that's huge. I, I love that because it, you can get lost in comparing yourself to people who you're just not ready to compare yourself. John Maxwell, years ago, I heard him say this story, how people come up to him afterwards and they're like, John, I want to be just like you. You know, how do I do what you do? And, and John was like, I don't know, in his 61, 62, and he was talking about some 21-year-old kid who called himself a life coach. That hasn't done anything in life, you know, like early 20s. Like, you don't know anything, but you feel like you know everything. And John says, well, it's, it's very simple, actually. You know, you, you go to seminary school, and then you take over a church, and then you get offered the biggest church in the country, and you say no, and you go build another church, and then, you know, your dad's a pastor, and all this other stuff, and then you fail, and you go this, and you find a wife that just is your rock, all this stuff. And then when you're 61, you get to have this conversation. <laughs> like, you know, and again, 40-year overnight yeah. success, and there's so much work that goes into it. You and I have, we're not just speakers, but we've gone to school. Like, we've paid money to know how to get up on stage. The same school, you know, they've yeah. the same teacher. And to get up on stage and to know I'm going to deliver. I have a process. I'm, I deserve to be here because I've worked and I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring, I'm gonna bring the good stuff. Yeah, but it's, the, it's intentionality. The intentionality is there. That's the key. It's the intentionality of your actions and and your choices. And and we laugh because we we're both speaking at a, a school here in the future. And and one of the people were like, well, hey, it's like Friday afternoon. Can you come do it Monday? 
And both of us are like, no, like we need some time. Like I think you're doing it next week and I'm the week after. Mm -hmm. Because when you get up and give a speech, like certain speakers are going to get up and just let it wing, let it fly. The way we've been taught, the way we've learned is the same way an athlete would go into a game. You practice, you prepare. And so like I have a keynote on Tuesday. Uh, If you're listening to this on Wednesday when it goes airs, I'm flying home right now from giving a keynote at a college athletics program. And I'll have put, let's say, years of knowledge together for the talk. But then this specific talk, I've probably rehearsed 15, 20 hours between preparing it, rehearsing it in my house, in my office, getting it lined up for one Yep. One talk. Now I've given bits and pieces all over, but you're like, well, haven't you given I'm like, yeah, I've get, I've told every story before, but I'm still going to rehearse 15, 20 hours just for this one hour presentation so right. that I'm prepared. And so that I deliver because that's how we were trained. Yeah. Well, that's what we're getting paid for. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be flying home as well. You know, I'll be in Massachusetts and yeah, no, that's, I love that. So then when somebody hires you, um, what, Oh, let me back up. So um, the, another thing that I learned, one, is that like that we're also, so we get hired, we go out and you know, we prepare and everything. But then there's also those times it's like, hey, I need you to step in. And so it's kind of like the backup quarterback who knows all the plays. We keep re- referencing quarterbacks mm-hmm. and stuff. But you know all the plays and then you get put in there and it's like, all right, now you have this, this wealth of knowledge. And I've gotten in situations where they're like, hey, James, um, can, you, can you give a talk uh, on, on leadership? I'm like, oh, yeah, cool, when? Um, the kids are ready right now. <laughs> and so something I learned again from John Maxwell is always have six to ten just bits of 45 to 60 minutes of, of stories and lessons and all this stuff. And so I have a notebook, like a physical notebook of these talks that I could give at the drop of a hat. You know, I went to North Forney High School. Like you had uh, yep. Johnson, Coach yeah. Johnson, or Jackson, Coach Jackson. And it was just like, can you be there tomorrow? It's like, yes. And I will give a presentation. And I've given that presentation before, and it's the first time they saw it, but um, it's, it's ready. You know, so I'm ready to step up. And that's what, what are people getting when they hire you as a speaker? I mean, you're getting, essentially you're getting the stories, you're getting the teaching more than anything of like, I know, so for instance, the college program, the 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 talk is called competitors for life. So I have five different, six different talks. All of them are similar to, and, and I think you do the same. And, and I learned this from the speaker and comedian Ron tight is it's essentially a bunch of bits. Every speaker is telling bits and stories. You have, I have this one subject, this one lesson I want to teach you. I have 20 stories for that. I'm only going to pick and choose two to three of them. And then I have this lesson about never letting the hard days beat you. And I have 20 different stories I'm gonna t- I can tell about that, but I'm going to choose one to two based on the audience. And so for me, it's not only going and teaching the concepts, because what I try to impart more than anything else is that core lesson. Show up, compete every day, and when you get to the end of your career, the end of your life, make sure you're on empty, like have nothing left. But I want to do it in a way that it's an experience for your team, mm-hmm. because uh, and there's a book called, and I'm blanking on the name of it, maybe Experiences, uh, but it's essentially the idea that when we're kids, we remember all these things. Time is so slow because we're having all these new experiences and these developments and these interactions that are first for us. And so we're remembering all these. But as we get older, 
things become very monotonous. We do the same routine every day. We get up, we go to the gym, we go to work, we go home. We get up, we go to the gym, and occasionally we'll go out and catch a movie or whatever, but the days start to run together, and then, oh my gosh, it's it's late August, and December will be here before we know it. It's because we lack creating experiences. Experiences, one, become pivotal moments in our life that we remember, and they help cement concepts. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's really about how do we create an experience? How do I bring enough energy and emotion and truth to what I teach that I can help create experiences for your audience that they just take one thing. If they remember the idea of outworking your talent that day, if they remember as a player, college kids, like I've got six things for them. And honestly, the most important is the thing I'm leading with that your identity is more than your position. Like that's the one thing because I know that was my biggest struggle. And so for me, it's about how do I create an experience in a way that helps you take one thing that at the end of the session, it can pivot your trajectory because one change, one mindset tweak, one idea, one concept you can run with all of a sudden can change everything. It doesn't change it overnight, but what it does is it changes your mindset to allow you to start making the right choices that can change your life over time. Mm-hmm. Now, where did that, uh, that work ethic, that drive to want to help people come from? So, man, that's a great question. I feel like I've had a lot of it's art always kind of been there. Um, you know, when I was young, I was big on uh, mission trips. I was big on getting involved. But I think a lot of it came from my dad, uh, to be honest. My dad has a chain of gas stations in East Texas. I grew up at like the age of six or seven, like sweeping parking lots, working the pumps, stocking the cooler. And I hated it as a kid. I was a little entitled brat of like, hey, dad, you're paying people to do this. You know, I know you're paying me in for this, but like, why am I having to do some of this? And he laughed and, and talked about like, you're never, even if you're the boss, you're never too big to help and serve others. Like if your team sees that you're willing to put in the effort and the drive to do something, they're willing to do the same. If your hands off and you won't go stock the cooler or sweep the parking lot because it's quote beneath you, they're not going to want to do the same either. But if they see you out busting it for the greater good, you can. And and so that, that's a big piece of that work ethic and drive. And I think the other is honestly, like my life is not about me at the end of my life and, and my legacies written. Like I want one from a faith perspective. I don't believe my life is my own. I believe my story is a part of something bigger, but two, our legacies, we've talked about this, our legacies only come down to the actions we take and how we make others feel. Like when our eulogies are read or somebody toasts us at the end of our career, they're not talking about how much money we made, how good at sales we were, how much we did this or that. They're only talking about here's how this person helped me, here's how this person made me feel, and here's what they took and the actions they did that inspired me to do the same. Can you, you imagine at a eulogy someone's like, and in October of 2018... He had this many sales. Yeah, I mean, like nobody <laughs> nobody cares about that. And, and so that that's something that I think is one of the biggest reminders for me, not only dealing with stresses and things in, in this world that sometimes distract us, but the idea in the grand scheme of things, if I can make someone, if I can help someone succeed, if I can help them shift their mindset to overcome an adversity, if I can just encourage them to keep going, mm-hmm. And I will do the same in my life to set the example with my actions. Nothing else matters. Yeah. Man, that's fantastic. What's been the most rewarding part of running? Well, first let's back up. Why t-shirts? <laughs> like, let's go, dude. I lo- Don't get me wrong. I wear your t-shirts to, 
Cowboys fit every day. Worst decision I've made. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but what? How did you land on t-shirts? I had tried about. I spent about six to eight months trying different things. Uh, started a media company at first, which ironically has come full circle. Uh, I was looking at youth sports camps for underprivileged kids with some groups. Um, I looked mm-hmm. at doing a an active portal for Dallas Fort Worth. But nothing ever kind of seemed like a good mesh. And my best friend, uh, the roommate, was like, you ought to look at Life is Good. These guys out of Boston built this T-shirt company. It's $120 million a year. Just simple concept, stick figure guy, ironically named Jake. Uh, and so I had some money set aside for a trip he and I were going to take. Uh, he ended up spending his money on an engagement ring for his now wife. Instead of me doing the trip solo, I put it into two boxes of shirts and tanks and started selling them behind the gym. The funny part about it is as we've kind of grown beyond just doing apparel and really trying to be a a media type company now, I think the t-shirts will always be there to a degree. And and I've laughed because I hate physical inventory business. Anybody that runs it lies to you that they love it because you're always sitting on cash at all times. There's money sitting in a warehouse that you want to move. And honestly, in t-shirts, I've learned you never know what design is going to sell. The ones you get the most excited about, you move like three. And the ones you are like, man, we'll see. You're like, I can't keep this in stock. Yeah. But if you think about a big interview, a first date, heck, going to the gym to get a good lift, like you put on your favorite shirt or watch or shoes, like you have a go-to item because it makes you feel strong, confident, sexy, whatever it is. Like oh, you yeah. have that item that look like, good, play yeah, good. Yeah, look good, play good. Mm-hmm. We we've carried that since sports. Well. The idea is I don't have my wristband. I don't have my wristband. I don't have my, you know, eye black is not on. Like (laughs) you have this concept that unless you have that, you can't perform well. It's the idea of Dumbo with the, the feather. He can't fly without the feather. In reality, it's the same as Dumbo. Like you have the ability within you, the shirt, the watch, the shoes, they just remind you of what you're already capable of. And so for us, shirts will always be there because our message of staying motivated, you've got this like, the, the key is to show up and compete every day. Like you can be that competitor. You've already got what it takes within you. You've already got the ability to make the right choices. We're just going to keep the apparel so that it reminds you of that instead of gives you that power because nothing can give you that power. Yeah. You know, without, without a cape, Clark Kent can is still Superman. Yeah. Like he can still fly. You know, like the cape doesn't make him fly. Yep. You take away his cape. He's not like, oh my gosh, <laughs> how do I do this? How do I defy gravity and go out in space? But then you put this t-shirt on and, um, you know, I mean, the, the quality of it I, I like. And this isn't a commercial for you, but I love it. Like it, it, when I put it on, I do feel like it's time to lift. You know, I, I don't wear the shirts when I'm out on stage. Yeah. I wear fresh tees. That's one of the shirts that I wear. But like but when I'm lifting, I, there's a certain uniform that I put on. And when I'm, when I have clothes that aren't necessarily my favorite, I just feel kind of trashy. Like I just feel like, oh, and people do. And, and I laugh, my wife, you know, guy, nothing's different. No, like except the clothes you're wearing. I same body, everything same food I ate, everybody. And everybody knows it. Those, those that are married or in relationship, your significant other will say something about like, I feel ugly in these clothes. I don't like this. I, I don't look good. And you're like, no, you look great. And in your mind, they still look great. But in their head, like they're like, ah, this outfit just doesn't look good on me. And they're already starting to give themselves characteristics because of what they assume about the outfit. Mm-hmm. The strength, the confidence, the, the swagger, it's all in here. We just sometimes need that shirt to remind us and bring it out. 
And so that's kind of why I think apparel has been such a natural fit for us in showing up that way. There's a, there's a certain pair of shoes that I wear or like when I'm, when I'm in front of a, a really strong football team um, that in my mind, I think they're strong. I'll wear cowboy boots because like it, it like connects me to my grandfather who wore cowboy boots and it just, it puts me in a different mindset when I slip those boots on. I'm just like, it's time to get to work. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah, I've got a pair of uh, I've got a couple of jackets and then a, a pair of pants and Nikes that I throw on when I go on stage, and it's literally, you know, I'll, before I go on, I'll, I'll put that on, I'll put that jacket on, and uh, throw my headphones in. I've got a little bit of a playlist I, I listen to, almost like you're sitting in a locker room before you go to the game, mm-hmm. and then take them out. I'm like, let's go, like mic me up, let's roll. Yeah. So I've seen your schedule. Um, I. I I follow you on all your channels and uh, I'm always impressed on how much content you put out there. How do you balance? Cause you're also married, <laughs> you know, you don't have kids yet. Nope. Which will be interesting to see yeah. that, you know, in the balance. But like right now with all the content you're producing, you're running the company, multiple podcasts, YouTube channel, uh, all the other stuff that you do, how do you balance everything? So a lot of it is is batching is a big one for me. I try to batch my content, theme it out. The other the other thing that I've gotten much better at that I used not to. So flashback four years ago, we had my speaking was in a separate lane completely. We were marketing it just as me, not as part of Compete. We had Compete Every Day on Apparel. We had a, another t-shirt company that was kind of a funny donut one. Uh, that we just kind of threw funny concepts at. And so I had all these different lanes and I did a really poor job of managing it. Um, I was creating a lot of content for Compete because it was top priority, but the other two weren't as well. Once I got a clear vision of where I wanted everything to go, we started moving the pieces that way, which actually helped me from a content creation standpoint because everything became unified. Instead of trying to have speaking over on the left side and, and coaching in the book on the right and then the apparel in the middle, we started looking at it. I think you actually gave me a really good analogy of it's it's a tree. Compete every day is the tree, yeah, and like then these are just the ago, branches. You, everything was together, and then you started branching out yeah. again. And I was like, hold on, hold on. This is all the same stuff. Yeah. Like, why are you putting it in silos? And, and that was it. silo. And so now, you know, we look at the content. And so we've got YouTube, the podcast. And so I prioritize everything. So compete every day is the priority. So family, obviously, first. But then compete every day is the priority from a work standpoint. Mm-hmm. Raising competitors is a sub-brand. It's secondary, which is why, you know, right now we came out of the gate with an episode every week. And now I'm like, we're going to do about two a month. It's, it's perfect for the, the parents and the audience, um, but we're going to do two a month because that's a manageable, consistent schedule. And so with everything else, I try to extend its life because what I want to do is for you listening to the show, I don't, if you don't get on Facebook, which I know James is not a Facebook I fight guy. fight it every day. Uh, I don't Gosh. want you to have to go to Facebook to get my content. So right. if you want to be on YouTube or Instagram or Twitter or, or LinkedIn, wherever, LinkedIn yeah, I want right you there. Right. Yeah. So what I try to do is take one piece of content. So every week has a theme. So if you're listening to this, this week's theme for compete is the idea of leave no doubt. Um, and so you're going to see one video. It's literally just one four, five minute video about the idea and inspiration behind leave no doubt. Well, out of that, I took some of the transcript and then wrote a blog post around it. So we'll have it on our blog. We'll have it on LinkedIn we'll have it on medium because I want it where you are. The one video I'm then going to chop into little pieces 
and tease it out on Facebook and Instagram and other channels because I want it to be where you are. But it's all one piece of content. So if I can sit down on one day and film four videos, edit them, splice them up, well, then that's kind of a month's worth of content. Then really the only work is scheduling it and posting it in the correct time. So the batching has really helped, especially because my goal is literally two videos a week. It's one for compete that's focused on the motivation, mental toughness, the mindset around it. And then the second one, uh, which is around my speaking business that has more to do with your career and with leadership. And so both of those filter out on LinkedIn and on my Instagram profile, but that kind of helps me organize a lot of it. So eight videos a month, which is a lot less than YouTube vloggers and groups like that. Um, and, and a lot of bloggers even blog a lot more, but I'm just taking a, a lesson I learned from Dan Martell, who's an entrepreneur out of, out of Canada, where he, he'll shoot his entire year's worth of content in two weeks. He'll shoot 52 videos, and then his team spreads it. Our team is much smaller. It's, it's me, it's Kathy, it's our warehouse team. But what I do is I have templates and systems in place. So when the video is done, drops in here, a couple right. quick edits, then we can distribute it out um, because time is the biggest value for us. Um, however, now that I'm not just focused on apparel, it's about education. And so as an education company, as a media company, it's all about how can I teach you this one concept five different ways mm -hmm. so that it clicks with you very different than it clicks with this person than that person. Because like the leave no doubt, somebody may see the first video that's about don't believe everything you see on social media. Like I have people... What? Yeah, I know, That's right? Not true. Like I had, there's Facebook a, is reality, right? There's there's Instagram. people online posting stuff and positioning themselves as as stars and and successful and and they're paying all these people behind the scenes to give them these opportunities. Like it's not the same as people approaching you. So like, there's a lot of fake crap out there. So I do a video about this of like, don't buy into it. Here's what actually matters. And then I have a second video that talks about legacy, the things we talked about earlier. Like someone is going to respond differently to each of those videos depending on where they are in their life and what they're struggling with. And so we want to be able to position those concepts out. I will say that the easiest part for me right now is thinking of the content because I'm in the middle of writing the book. So there's no shortage of ideas and stories um, of how I want to tease out as we set up the book release in the future. So your superhero power is batching. You're batching. A batch man. I am the batch man. So yeah. how can how can somebody in their life start using the concept of batching? I, I learned about batching from Tony Robbins years ago, and uh, I've watched you do it over the last year. So what are some tips on batching for just a normal normal person? Yeah. So I, I, a lot of this, I'm, it's fun. I'm excited to start sharing in the future. It's, the book is gets finished, but there's a few ways I do it. The first is I theme out days. Uh, so for the most part, uh, I will theme every day of the week. Well, your uh, world is content creation. Yeah, my world's right, content. So. Well, but I'll do, say, my, uh, Tuesdays for me is heavily on the speaking business. So it is. Oh, you're talking about actionable Actual, items. yeah. So okay. I actually batch a theme for the day. And so a lot of times my Thursday or Friday is podcasting. So I okay. try to schedule all of my interviews on one day each week uh, because I can, re I can record them, I can record an intro, and then go. Um, sometimes schedules don't allow, but if I know Thursday is the podcast day, then I'm focused solely on recording, okay. scheduling content, getting the shows set up so they're done for six weeks. Mm -hmm. um, Tuesdays are speaking, so it's lead gen. How am I finding new leads? How am I reaching out? And then rehearsing, like 
let's just take a section, rehearse the content. Yeah. So if you have the instance where it's, hey, can you come speak on Monday? Yeah. No problem. You don't have to get ready if you always stay ready, right? Uh, and so that's another piece of it as well. Um, and so that's a big one. Then from a, a time standpoint, I try to block out sets of time. So Instagram, for instance, we use some software um, that helps me lay out what the post will be over the course of a month. And so I can literally sit down and schedule captions because for our Instagram more than other accounts um, and other profiles is we put a lot of context behind the post. It's not just hey one little tagline and then right, the picture. It's like its own blog post. Yeah, it's like a mini blog post. And so I want to be able to think of that and, and add some context to the image or just, hey, here's a quick tip to use today, something to keep in mind. So I sit down and write all those. And so I'll take an afternoon and schedule 30 days for Instagram. And, yeah. and a lot of that content will share on Facebook at different times in different formats. Um, and so those kind of batches really help because instead of spending every day on Facebook posting and remembering, I can log on a couple times a week, see what videos and other content we want to share and add into it. But for the most part, it's set ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So then I can focus on writing, on speaking, on finding new leads, on building that business or on designing the apparel. Um, the other part of batching is, is outsourcing. Like I've got, um, I do some design. I've worked with this great guy, Dean Zhu and enhanced Taplin for a while in design. Uh, a guy named Greg Gossett out of Houston is doing some design work for us now. And so I can batch them and say, Hey, here's five concepts I've been designing and sitting on run with them. I want right. you to design it and then bring it back. And then we go. Yeah. I love that. I love the concept of, of batching and, and having a theme for the day. And I know a lot of people who do like only interviews on Thursday or whatever. And so this is my, my schedule is usually nine to one. I don't answer phone calls. I mm -hmm. don't take meetings. I mean, today is an exception just because we've been planning this, but, um, but yeah, so I, I'm literally like my phone isn't on from nine to one, you know, important people know how to get a hold of me outside of that. And it's just, I'm, I'm in. And then once one o'clock hits, I'm like, all right, rest of the day. Yeah. What do I got? What can I do? Well, and the other thing that's really helpful is to actually treat your phone calendar, um, schedule meetings with yourself. So like if you looked at my calendar right now, uh, I have times blocked off uh, this afternoon. So I literally have from 2.30, I have a call at 2.30 to 2.45 and then 2.45 to 4.30 is rehearsal. And I've literally blocked time to set a meeting for myself for that. So if yeah. you set a, a day once a month, that's the second Tuesday every month is your Facebook day. And you're going to spend two to three hours just getting your content together, getting it scheduled on Facebook, looking at schedules. Then you're set for a while. Um, and you can batch that other than if you, if you've read about distraction and focus, like every time you do something, a task, if you're on a paper and Facebook dings and you get on Facebook to do a post, it's going to take you 15 to 20 minutes to refocus on oh, what yeah. you were doing. So instead of the residue of that, yeah, task the residue just, just sits, sits there. there. Yeah. So instead of wasting, you know, 15 to 20 minutes every day, that's 30. I mean, you're at what an hour and 15 minutes in over the course of a week of just one little task, one little post. Whereas you could spend two hours one day and schedule for the next month. Mm -hmm. You save yourself countless hours on the back end. Um, and so that's a really good way to think about it when you batch is just block off time, do a task, set it up. And if you can't schedule post, if you're not, you know, certain tasks, then go into your iPhone's notes like I do and start writing down captions and ideas and just sit on them. And then when it comes to the time, yeah. cut, copy, paste. I love, I love that idea of just kind of percolating on, on these ideas and 
yeah, that's some good stuff, dude. And now, so now I get it. <laughs> that's <laughs> how. Because that I've done it really poorly in the past. Um, right. Well, we all learn from our mistakes yeah. and stuff. And so, so we talked about the past and the present. Like five years from now, what is, what's it look like? Uh, man, five years from now, I hope my second book is out. Um, it so that, better be out. It, we don't meet weekly for accountability. <laughs> <laughs> well, We'd the first to have another book. The come first out. John book, Gordon would expect nothing. I know less one than a year. Book a year. Uh, the first book is almost done. The second book is actually already outlined because it is specifically for high school and college athletes. Third book, I have the title and general idea for. So like I've already seen that plan and progression of about every 18 months after the first one, we get into a recurring form. Um, goal wise, I want to be speaking once a week. So 50 ish times a year, uh, really empowering people to show up and start competing every day. Uh, the apparel will still be there. Uh, the way people have seen it now is we're doing more limited releases. We're we're dropping a shirt, two shirts at a time every other month, and it's just a one-time run. Grab it while you can. Um, the company Flag Nor Fail does a fantastic job of this with, with Dana Lynn and Rob Bailey, and, and they've really inspired me from a inventory standpoint, apparel standpoint. Let's drop it. Let's make it exclusive. Let's make it really cool and go. And it also helps us from an operations standpoint not rely solely on apparel to drive the business, but how do we build the podcast? How do we build the media? Because the first and foremost for me is as much as income is necessity for business and, and apparel does drive a lot. Speaking drives a lot. Mm -hmm. um, the, the goal is not to get you to buy a shirt. The goal is to get you to adopt the mindset and start showing up every day as a competitor and as a yep. leader. Because if you do that, your life, the lives of those you interact with, your community will be better. So that is kind of the social mission of the brand. So if you end up buying a t-shirt or a wristband to reinforce that, awesome. I get to buy another cup of coffee. I can pay the bills. Uh, but everything that we do is designed around that. So five years from now, I hope you, you show up at Compete Every Day. You've, you know, ideally I'd love to have us host an event one day, uh, have a, a competitors type uh, conference, but really... I'll be speaking full time. I'll have books coming out. Um, and then the shirts and things will still be cranking along. And the podcast should be, see, five years from now, we're looking at, you know, what is that? How many episodes? 50 episodes a year, 250. So we should be at episode 400 recording. Awesome. What are some things that, uh, that you wish that you were able to share with your audience that maybe you just haven't been able to find the avenue? Uh, in terms of what ideas like a message, like, you know, cause you have your, your, your parenting or yeah. parenting. Yeah. The raising competitors. Yeah. Raising competitors. yeah. And then you have compete every day. Is there, is there any other kind of message out there that you kind of like, Oh, you know, if I had time, yeah, like I would, I would dive into this. Like what's one of those things, like maybe a pet project <laughs> a few years from now might have nothing to do with this, but like, what is, yeah. What so is the, the batching one is the big one. Um, I actually think when I finished the first book, I've, I've queued up notes and notes and, and I've already grabbed websites and domains, but we'll do a, a project for educating entrepreneurs and side hustlers how to batch. Um, and mainly that's just to help you kill the extra busyness that we get into. So you can start investing more time back in your life and relationships. Mm -hmm. So that's a really fun pet one for me because I know how poorly I did it to begin with. Yep. And I know how important time is and relationships are. And so that's a big one for me. 
Uh, the other piece that that we've really tried to figure out how to best do, and I, I think we'll have it done this year, is is the online coursework that you do really well with Unleash the Athlete for coaches and players, um, is to to get our goals workshop set up in an online course format because yeah. we're just it's a smaller setting. It's not something we can really travel the country from a, a cost standpoint and do. Right. Uh, but if we get the online program up, it'll help people really help start to create a process for getting traction on their goals instead of talking about it. So the online course piece is really the one that I think I really want to be able to share more with because it takes parts of the keynote and the book and the workshop and gives you a formula to succeed and further cements us as not just a t-shirt company that I think is everyone's kind of big surprise. If you've been with us from the beginning, you've seen a lot of changes and and probably I'm going to go ahead and apologize for years 15, 16, and 17 as we were a little mucky trying to figure out what that was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we honestly looked at it. We looked at our team. We looked at the market we were in and how it was changing and, and decided that our best advantage long-term was the message and sharing that message as an educational resource. And so now that's kind of our hub of speaking and apparel drive it. But if like most people, we get Instagram messages and they're like, oh, I thought you were just a gym t-shirt company. And then you have this podcast and, and you do speaking. And, and so the book and those pieces help cement that. So be on the lookout maybe before the end of this year, if, if you have a business or starting one about the productivity and, and batching your life uh, in a couple of different ways. And then the online coursework for those that want to start getting traction on their goals. What's the number one thing you're looking forward to in the remainder of this year? Oh man, I think the speaking, I've got some gigs lined up with some really cool groups. Uh, I, I just, I say that because like this has building the speaking business has been one of the harder roads I've gone down. Building compete has been one of the harder roads I've gone down, but it's funny. You build a business for a while, you get to a point and then you start building a separate part of that business and you start all over and you forget how hard the very, very beginning is again. But I honestly laugh that I never have felt more at home and alive than when I'm on stage giving a presentation. Uh, I laughed actually last night with my mom that growing up in East Texas, our our pastor and youth minister were always like, you're going to be a preacher one day. And I was like, brother, you have no idea. Preaching personal development. Yeah, I was about to say, I am not, uh, I will not be behind a pulpit uh, in my lifetime, but However, now I'm on stages, I'm speaking, uh, it's just a real natural fit for it and all of the work that goes into it. Like I just enjoy it. I enjoy the rehearsal. I enjoy the creating the content and sharing the stories and then seeing people, seeing the light click in someone like seeing a kid, like the big brothers, big sisters, as we talk about the importance of the right people you associate with and what type of friends you need to avoid and then being like, Oh. I got a couple of people in my life. Like I might need to reevaluate spending time with. And you're like that, like that one change, cutting that type of person out, mm-hmm. adding someone else could change your entire life. Huge. And so, yeah, so that's yeah. what I enjoy. So I've got, uh, I mean, the next 30 days are crazy with some different companies and, and college programs, athletic programs and high schools. Um, so that's what I'm excited about mainly because I've worked really hard to get to that point, And I just feel like it's where I'm called to be doing. Do you have any people who you just are dying to have on this podcast? 
yeah, so I'm always dying to have John uh, Gordon, as we've mentioned, uh, Michael Gervais, and Pete Carroll are at the top because they were, co-wrote the book, uh, yep. Always Compete. They run the Compete to Create program. Um, I'm fascinated, fascinated with their work. Um, yeah, I've got, I've actually got a little laundry lift. John Acuff is another one. And most of them are, I mean, let's be honest. Most of us start a podcast for selfish reasons, uh, just to learn. Like we just want to interview people and learn. And so a lot of the people on my list are the, the mentors, uh, the people that I have learned from reading and following their content. And so, uh, for me, it's about how can I just sit down with you and have a conversation that I know my listeners are going to get extreme value from, yeah. um, but I can also selfishly learn things that I, as we talked about selfishness earlier, use to help the community further, help improve how I operate, how I run business. Um, so yeah, so those are, those are really the big two, um, at the top of my list. I have actually a, a thing written down on my, a whiteboard in my office to start outlining like specific people. Um, and then as connections start to develop stages, start to grow, how do we get those people on the show uh, one way or another? So, yeah, I, I think it was Ed, Coach Ed Molitor. Had his, that's how y'all met. He had his list of five people. These are the people I need to meet this Such year, cool story, uh, which is how you two got connected. And and so I love yeah. I love that. And I actually took it when, when you guys told me that and said, I've made a whiteboard and said, these are the people that one day will be on the Compete Every Day podcast. Um, but Michael, Pete, and, and John are the ones currently at the top right now um, that I'm focused well, on. What's funny about that story is that when Ed came to IMG Academy to meet me, um, I got in a cart, like a golf cart. And I was like, I got to go to the other side of campus because my, a friend of mine's over there. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah, no problem. And then uh, he starts telling me about that list, the five people on the list. And I'm like, who else was on it? And he was like, well, it's this guy. I forgot the guy's name. He's like, it's John Gordon. And then it's you. And, and I was like, John Gordon, huh? cool. Um, that's who I'm going to go see on the other <laughs> side of the campus right now. Like he's here and I wanted to hang out with him. And so we drive And so on the same day, two of the people on his list, which I was so humbled that I was even on it, but then we drive across campus and I'm like, there he is right there. And you, he turned into like a little kid. He's yeah. like, Oh my gosh, it's John Gordon. I'm like, come down, come on, dude, let's yeah. get it together. <laughs> like, and, and we had this great photograph of, of him and, and John together. And uh, that, that was a really cool moment. So funny. Yeah, Coach Ed. And that's how, obviously, we got connected, which is, is a really, really cool deal, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, ended up moving down the street from each other. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Crazy. All right, man. Well, hey, it was, it was an honor to be a host of your podcast for an episode. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And, uh, man, I just I, I appreciate you, who you are, uh, the man you are, the husband you are to your lovely wife. And, uh a lot of people are, their lives are being changed because of you, because of, uh, you overcame the identity problems. You decide, you, you learned how to compete, not with others, but with yourself and you're showing other people how to do that. And so I just wanted to say, I honor you and I appreciate your friendship and, and just thank you for everything that you are. Appreciate it, brother. I'm, uh, it, it was fun being on this side. Uh, but absolutely appreciate your friendship. For those listening, uh, I definitely want to encourage you to check out uh, utathlete.com, Unleash the Athlete. Check out uh, James's work. Um, if you are a coach, if you coach your little league team, if you coach your high school, college, if you know a coach, uh, have them check out his stuff as well as athletes. Um, James does some really awesome work in helping character and leadership development. Uh, guys, this has been fun. Until next week, keep competing, keep showing up as your best self, keep leading those in your office, in your gym, and in your house, and keep competing every day. 
Thanks again, competitors, for tuning in to the Compete Everyday Podcast. As always, get in touch with the show by emailing us at podcast at competeeveryday.com. And don't forget to use your 15% off discount code podcast on any purchase at competeeveryday.com. I can't wait to see you again next week. And until then, keep competing every day. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. Visit CompeteEverydayPodcast.com to learn how you can get connected with other everyday competitors. Contact the show and find resources to help compete for your best life.